Hi there, and welcome to the Wayback Music Machine podcast, the show that takes a lighthearted look at the week that was in rock and roll history. This is road trip number 47. How are you doing today, Aaron? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. It's the first day of spring, right? First day without masks. It's nice. Nice day. Yeah, it's absolutely perfect. Maskless Monday, as I've been calling it all day. But uh, <laughs> You should copyright that now. Well, that's exactly. <laughs> well, are you ready for a road trip? We are going, what, New York City and then Johannesburg. So we've never been to South Africa. I think that's going to be very cool. No, I can't wait to go. Well, let's hit the road. It's a new year, and it's a brand new Wayback Music Machine. CD player? Check. GPS? Double check. Roll bar? They're on the way. I'm Tony Stewart. I'm Aaron Badgley. And we're getting ready for another rock and roll road trip. Are you ready, my friend? I'm always ready. Well, in that case, buckle up, because it's road trip time. So where would you like to go first? Well, seeing as how we've never been there, let's go to Johannesburg. I'm kind of excited. I've never been to South Africa. I think it'd be exciting to go. Okay, that sounds great. And actually, we're going to head to March 21st, 2006. But this story has its roots all the way back in 1939. And it's uh, one of the most popular songs, I think, that everybody knows. So let's head back and we'll take a look at what was going on. March 21st, 2006. So here we are, uh, March 21st, 2006, and we're in uh, South Africa. But as you said, Tony, the story has its roots in 1939. Um, So let's explain it a wee bit. This is about a very famous song that, I got to tell you, has always been one of my absolute favorites. And my favorite version is by Brian Eno, of all people. Oh, wow, because there's a lot of versions of this song. There is, yeah. What song are we talking about, Tony? Well, we are talking about the song that the Tokens, I would say, that's got to be the most famous version, uh, called The Lion Sleeps Tonight, also called Wim Away. But I'm sure people who are listening right now can just hear it in their heads. So this is the, <laughs> the story behind The Lion Sleeps Tonight. And on March 21st, 2006, three South African women whose father, a guy named Solomon Linda, uh, he wrote The Lion Sleeps Tonight in 1939. And these three South African women finally won a court battle that lasted for six years, if you can believe it. And it gave them 25% of all past and future royalties from the song. So that is that is an amazing triumph because uh, Linda never got credited. Solomon Linda never got credited for writing this song. And so many cover versions were done of this weren't there well yeah and and i mean when you look at what was in his bank account when he died in 1962 yeah about 25 dollars, i believe eh? right um which isn't a huge amount of money uh even in 1962 <laughs> oh exactly exactly but to your point, Tony, absolutely, there's been tons and tons of versions of this song and of course the most famous is by the tokens and by the way do you know who was in the tokens at the time? I'm not sure. Who am I? Should I be getting the bell ready or what? Y- you should be getting the bell ready. <laughs> okay. So who was in the tokens at the time? Uh, Neil Sedaka. Oh, there we go. Just give me a second. I'm going to ring it here. So 
<laughs> Neil Sadaka was in the tokens. I did not know that, and I'm sure most yeah. of our listeners didn't either. But uh, who else did versions of this, uh, Tony? There's lots of people. As I said, my favorite is by Brian Eno, which wasn't a huge hit, but I love his version. Yeah, you know another great version that actually uh, was by Pete Seeger. And Pete Seeger felt really bad. He felt awful when he found out that uh, Solomon Linda never got uh, credit for the song and never really got compensated for the song. You know, because like Pete Seeger said, I was just you know, we bought the rights to the song and, and I sang it and he never uh, looked into it further. He didn't really have reason to, but when he found out, he, he was, was quite distraught by that. Well, and that's Pete Seeger. I mean, he was very much um, pro-union, pro-equal rights, pro-paying for what you have, right? I mean, he was, I mean, he was banned off radio because he was seen as a communist for many years. So there you go. Yeah, absolutely. So Pete Seeger's version uh, is a great version. I love how, have you seen the clips where, and heard the clips where he's teaching the song to the crowd? It's fantastic. I, so he, he, I saw, I was lucky to see him live at Massey Hall. Oh, were you? Nice. Yeah, he was great live and he would do that. He would not with that song in, in Toronto, but he's, he does it with other songs, you know? Yeah. Uh, the Kingston Trio. I remember my dad was a Kingston Trio fan. Uh, the Tokens, of course, like we've said. Carl Denver, R.E.M., and it was featured also in the film The Lion King, of course. Now, the estimation is that this song earned, just from The Lion King, earned $15 million. So that is something else. So good for those three women for uh, finally winning their court case. Well, you know, and and their dad did release it as a single, I guess it would have been a 78, in South Africa, uh, South Africa on the Gallo Record Company label. But he went under the name Mumbubi. Yeah, I'm not sure how you say that. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I'm butchering the language and I apologize. But it means lion. He went under the name Lion uh, in Zulu. So there you go. Yep. And actually, you know, there are uh, clips available. I'm not sure if you've heard those. You can actually go back and hear. There's one or there are one or two recordings of the original, and it's really fascinating to see, uh, you know, that kernel from which all the other cover versions came. I'm I'm a I love that history stuff. So I, I listened to one today, and it was the version in Zulu from. Oh, I check that. Was that on YouTube? Yeah, yeah. So I'll send you a link for that. It's very, very cool. Oh, I want to hear that. That sounds amazing. Sounds really cool. But you know, Tony, this isn't the only song. Like other songs, this has happened to other records too. Like there was a record by a group in England called Scaffold, which was actually produced by Paul McCartney. And a song was called Liverpool Lou, and they thought it was just a folk song. So they put a you know traditional arrangement by Paul McCartney. Well, the writer called him up and said, um, well, actually... <laughs> But they corrected it, and the guy got the money. It wasn't a big deal, but it happens, right? I mean, I think Pete Seeger, you know, everyone else just assumed it was all taken care of, you know? Well, that's right. The assumption was that it was in the public domain, and it was a folk song, so uh, you can use it. And uh, But thank goodness that uh, that got corrected. I mean, unfortunately, it's posthumously, but at least it got corrected, and it's nice to see that happen. But there was um there was another writer credited. It was a guy named George David Wise because he translated the lyrics, I believe, from Zulu to English, right? Yeah. Okay. So he, he I now I wonder what percentage then that he was getting. Well, I don't know that he'd get any because all he did was translate, hmm. right? I mean, he he took credit, but all he did was really translate 
words. He didn't really write anything. No, but I think he might have a claim for a songwriting credit, right? Part of a... I wouldn't be surprised. That'd be worth looking into, actually. Yeah, I should look into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I'm looking here, and you've done something totally different with the charts <laughs> for this week. I've never seen this. We've done 47 episodes, and you've never done a chart like this. So I'm going to let you explain what you've got, because it's very cool. Well, here's the thing, right? I figured we'd never been to South Africa before, so I wanted to do a chart that I'd never done before. So I'm so glad. You know, Tony, this is why I love working with you, and you're my friend, because you notice these little things that we do, right? <laughs> So I I went with the top DVD sales that week. So number five in the top DVDs, this is back before streaming, so people actually bought DVDs. Um, it's Grey's Anatomy Season 1. was number five. Number four, Disney, Bambi 2. I didn't even know I, there was a Bambi 2, I'll be honest. <laughs> well, I did because my girls in 2006, Linda would have been... Seven and Emily was uh, nine or ten. She should have been ten. So, of course, they had to have Bambi, too. Oh, um, yeah, of course. I, but, you know, when I got the DVD, Andrew got kind of upset because I said, I hope they do a seance for Bambi's mom. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't go over well. Uh, number three is the ultimate, the ultimate Avengers, the movie. I love number two and one. This made me laugh. I don't know why it made me laugh. But number two is the full screen special edition of Rent. Number one is the widescreen special edition of Rent. I do remember when Rent was a big deal, but uh, guess what? Uh, that's musical theater, and you know what? Um, I haven't seen Rent either, so. Um, okay, full disclosure, I know one song because every time ESA, Tropical School of the Arts, they would do a presentation, they always sang that one song, like, what is it? Five million four hundred sixty-five thousand, whatever. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, I actually don't. So uh, my <laughs> my knowledge of the uh, musical theater library is pretty limited on purpose. So <laughs> that's classic. It's a song about how many days there is in a, a typical life, and it's it's just it's oh okay. You know, every I, time every time musical theater did a song, it was always that song. You know? Yeah, I thought it might be a song about how long that show felt or something. I don't know. Yeah, I never saw it. Never saw the movie, <laughs> never saw the play. I, and, and you know, I don't feel deprived. No, me neither, actually. I, I feel like my life is still okay without having seen Rent, so. But I thought of you last night because there was a TV show on at 10 o'clock on ABC, modern day versions of classic dance numbers oh. and musical songs. And I thought, I should call Tony. He should be watching this. <laughs> <laughs> now, are you ready for a segue? I sure am. Okay, so we've just been talking about rent, right? We, we are about to go to a city where it is really expensive to rent. We're about to go oh. to New York City. In fact, it'll be just outside New York City, but they were on their way to New York City. We're going to go to March 22nd, 1956. How's that for a segue? That segue brought a tear to my eye. <laughs> All right. So let's go, and we're going to be talking about Carl Perkins. We'll be right back. So here we are. It's March 22nd, 1956, and uh, this is a, a tragic day uh, for Carl Perkins. Uh, Carl Perkins, of course, the writer of Blue Suede Shoes and, and many other great songs, but 
This was the day he was driving to New York and he was going to appear on the Perry Como show and the Ed Sullivan show. And he got involved in an accident. It put uh, Carl in hospital for several months, but more tragically is uh, his brother Jay was killed in the accident. And, you know, it's not a, an overreach to say that Carl Perkins was never the same after this day because he was very, very close to his brother. He was close to his brother and, and also the exposure he would have gotten on Perry Como and Ed Sullivan would have put him in the same realm, I think, as Jerry Lee Lewis or Johnny Cow. I mean, Carl Perkins, and I love the man, don't take this as a you know criticism, he was always kind of a side player, right? He never, he never achieved the huge um, success that he kind of deserved. Well, I agree, you know, and the nickname that he had was the King of Rockabilly, and makes sense doesn't it his style and that's what some people said you know they said that his style didn't really change he was always a rockabilly guy right from the right from the beginning you know elvis of course morphed into a completely different style by the time he ended his career but uh, carl perkins was all about rockabilly and the background on on him is fascinating right his he's uh, his parents oh. were sharecroppers he was working mm-hmm. cotton fields when he was six years old i couldn't believe that he didn't grow up far from uh, johnny cash actually no the background on these guys is is always fascinating and we've mentioned this before you know one of one of my favorite things about rock and roll is is the way that it's not big city cosmopolitan music it's got its roots in in some pretty backwater places and uh, Perkins for instance was so poor that his first guitar was it was the stereotype that you think of from some of these places a cigar box and a broomstick attached together that was his first guitar they couldn't afford uh, to buy one and you know so he made do with what he had but imagine the the music that he would have been surrounded with well he just he yeah and it was all created they weren't basing it on much other than traditional songs they'd hear while they're picking cotton or while there were songs passed down from generation to generation right but yet he built this guitar and i think his brother did the same um you know and and it it, to me that's that's the i I don't know how to say this but you know that's the spirit as opposed to someone going on american idol singing and then getting voted and having a record contract to me that's silly but you know, the the starting with, and you know, Johnny Cash was the same, right? I mean, this is a guy that came from Sharecropper. And, and um, so, yeah, these guys started with less than zero. Oh, less it, than zero. Exactly. You know, and, and I ran across a great quote. Um, Perkins and his wife heard the, the new release at the time in 1954 uh, in July of Blue Moon of Kentucky by Elvis Presley. And he was with Scotty Moore and Bill Black on that recording. And, he, and Perkins heard it on the radio. And supposedly he said to his wife, there's a man in Memphis who understands what we're doing. I need to go see him. So what a great little uh, confluence of, you know, people meeting. And uh, of course, later on, they had that famous million dollar quartet with uh, Johnny Cash and Jerry Lee Lewis, Elvis and Carl Perkins. But uh, Elvis was on his radar pretty early on, which was neat. And Elvis, I mean, they stayed friends, by the way. And and you're, you're talking about how, so he's connected to Elvis. He was also connected to Johnny Cash. And that's where he got the story for, well, there's a few stories about how he came up with Bruce Wade. She was one of the stories 
is, is they say it's a myth, although Johnny Cash in his books, whereas it's true, is that he gave the idea to Perkins um, after a show, he was talking about a soldier, uh, C.V. White, who served with him in the U.S. Army, and he explained that his friend took particular pride in his footwear during his three-day leave, and, you know, don't step on my blue suede shoes, I guess, came from that. But you're right. I mean, Elvis, and Elvis helped Perkins after the car accident, right? I mean, um, by recording blue suede shoes, he was hoping he would help make some money for Carl, because, um, and a tribute to his brother, but they, these guys all kind of stuck together, eh? They absolutely did, and uh, yeah, so Elvis actually, had, of course, had uh, a pair of blue suede shoes, and they he there's a certificate of authenticity for these things, but, uh, you know, they're size 10. Elvis wore a size 10, and of course, many footwear companies after that also uh, came up with sort of their their take on the blue suede shoes but what an iconic song and i remember sam phillips uh talking about this and he actually said that he preferred carl's version to elvis's version so i thought that was interesting you know that i i that is interesting and and i mean i guess he'd be there for both of them but no elvis's was on rca right because it was on his first album yep um but the difference is in the beginning if you listen to the beginning of both of Carl Perkins's version and uh, Elvis, the, the the big difference is right. In the, I'll put them both in the playlist yeah, so people can compare the two. Yeah, put them back to back, maybe. And, and okay, way. sure. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I love doing idea, that yeah. stuff. Yeah, but what a massive hit that was for Elvis. Oh, huge, huge. I mean, it became Elvis's song. He made it his song. Yeah. You know, for better or for worse, it became Elvis's. I mean, it was on his first album. It was a huge hit, right? But. Um, yeah, Carl Perkins' story always kind of, you know, starting with his brother. And then his second brother passed away, too, in 69 in a fire. So, I mean, he just, uh, you know, he didn't have it easy. Although, as you put in the notes, he did get he did a, he did a song with um, Paul McCartney on Paul McCartney's Tug of War album called Get It, which is a rockabilly kind of song. And when he did the song, he wrote a song that Paul recorded with him that didn't come out for many many years called my old friend and it was it's um he wrote it about elvis and john paul thought he wrote it about paul's relationship with john so it was this beautiful love song lovely song called my old friend so yeah now and you know mccartney owns the stuff right oh yes that's right i remember you mentioning that so so he's, he owns carl perkins uh, library he does yeah but yeah. you know what he's, so, he's a good person to own it because he'll protect it you don't see it in commercials, do you? Not no. like some other stuff, right? You don't hear um, Buddy Holly or Carl Perkins, you know, shilling for uh, Pledge. No, and, and I'm <laughs> I'm actually glad uh, that Paul McCartney owns his uh, catalog because you're right. There are just too many uh, awful uh, uses of some of this music going on right now. So, but 56, March 22nd, 56 must have been a great chart. What What do you have on there? It's an interesting chart. It's it's still the early days of, by the way, at that week, Carl Perkins was at number 20 with Blue Suede Shoes, the second week on the charts. But you know what, Tony? Rock and Roll was still kind of pretty new. So you had number five, The Platters. I love this song, though. The oh, Great Pretender. me too. What a great song. Oh, it's, isn't it lovely? Yeah. It's great. Four Lads at number four. That's appropriate. Um, with No, Not So Much. K-Star. Rock and roll waltz. It wasn't really rock and roll. Um, <laughs> number three, 
I heard this. I listened to. I was listening to an old time radio show last night, and I actually heard this version of the song. Number two, Nelson Riddle with Lisbon Antigua, and number one, Les Baxter with Poor People of Paris. Yeah, what a mixed bag again. <laughs> what a hard title to say. Can you imagine being a you know DJ trying to say? Remember last week we had the Donny Osmond story. Can you imagine guys playing Poor People of Paris for ninety minutes? <laughs> <laughs> No, I can't, actually. <laughs> Come on, let's pretend. <laughs> now, you know what? Uh, I think I'm ready for a break, a commercial break. And I found a great one from 1985. So we're going to put that on because right after the commercial, we are going to jump ahead to March 23rd, 1985. And we're going to be talking about a certain William Joel. So are you ready for a break? I'm always, I could get a glass of water, yeah. Okay, we'll be right back. For Dr. Pepper, here's Y and T. So it is March 23rd, 1985, and you know that Billy Joel is my guy. I love, love Billy. He has been such a formative influence on me musically, and this day will go down in history because (laughs) Billy proved to men everywhere that it doesn't matter what you look like because Billy married Christy Brinkley. Isn't that unbelievable? I think we were all shocked. Yeah, um, <laughs> it, it was a shock. I, you know, but Billy had the gift of uh, attracting beautiful women because guess who he was dating when he met Christy Brinkley for the first time? This is unbelievable. Go ahead. Unbelievable. <laughs> Ella McPherson. Can you, can you imagine, Tony, your hardest decision that day is who are you going to go out with? Oh. So <laughs> Christy Brinkley. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So Billy was um, dating Ella McPherson, but he went on vacation and he ended up meeting uh, Christy Brinkley down in St. Bart's uh, because she was down there as well. And he was playing piano at a bar and she came over and started singing and they hit it off and the rest is history. But, uh, you know, way way to go, Billy. He was was totally attracted to her singing. Yes, no doubt, no doubt. And you know what, Bill, like we were saying this before, no matter what insult that you hurl at Billy Joel, he can just come back with, yeah, but I slept with Christy Brinkley. I mean, there you go. And, Boom. Case and, closed. And Al McPherson, too. I yes. mean, that's... <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, Billy, uh, he used to be a boxer in his uh, youth. And uh, here's another example of him punching way above his own weight. But he, you know what, he, he he was the heavyweight champ there for a few years because they were married for from 85 to, what, 93? Yeah, they broke up uh, 93, and she was featured in, in quite a few of his music videos, uh, and they're fantastic. Like, if you look at the list of the videos that she was in, she was in Uptown Girl, which is, I love that video, Keeping the Faith. Classic. Keeping Classic. the Faith, by the way, is maybe my favorite Billy Joel video. Have you seen it? Is it? Yeah, of course. Where he's in the courtroom. Yeah, that, that's fantastic. Brilliant. I love it. I love that video. I love the song too, by the way. Yep. Uh, All About Soul, uh, River of Dreams, 
and a matter of trust. And did you know the the River of Dreams album um, that Christie did the artwork for that? No. Yeah, that's Christie's artwork on there. The front cover? Yeah. There needs to be a ding with that one. Yeah, so I'll ring the bell right now. But yeah, that was Christie Brinkley's uh, artwork. Now, they divorced in 93, um, but they are still friends. But Billy is the first to admit that he was not a, a great husband. You know, a tough guy to be married to in his own words. And he had his struggles with uh, substance abuse over the years. And But they remain friends. And quite often you'll see when Billy's giving one of his talks, uh, she'll be in the audience. And uh, they still keep in touch all the time. Of course, they've got a daughter, Alexa Ray, uh, who's a, a, a fine singer in her own right, actually. Have you heard her sing? I have. Um, she sang with Billy a couple of things. He accompanied her, and I've heard her uh, since then. Yeah, she's got a good voice. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Christy Brinkley, though, uh, married Billy Joel and her first film role, because now we, we know her as a bit of an actress. Do you remember uh, National Lampoon Vacation? Uh, she was the girl in the red Ferrari when uh, Chevy Chase was uh, driving down the highway. You know, I just watched it. It was on uh, TV not too long ago, maybe Saturday night, Friday night. And I, I just, I, to- you know, I totally forgot she was in it. And then it was like, oh my gosh, Christy Brinkley, you know? Yep. And uh, and she was in the sequel too, uh, the Vegas Vacation sequel in 97. Do you remember her in that? I have no memory of that. I have to go back and watch it. I do briefly. I don't remember Vegas Vacation all that much, but I have seen... Um, the first one, uh, Vacation, a million times. And, and that scene well, is absolutely classic. Oh, the first two, um, the first Vacation and then Christmas Vacation are, are, are perhaps <laughs> the best two. I, Christmas Vacation, it doesn't matter how many times I see it, there are still lines. That, I mean, I'll quote the lines, you know, but, um, uh, and the Paris one, the European Vacation has its moments, but boy, those first two Vacation films were just brilliant. Oh, brilliant. yeah. Well, I you'd always wait for the moment that... Uh, Chevy Chase would out just lose it. You know, do you oh. remember that? When he took the chainsaw to his banister in Christmas vacation. <laughs> and, or or it was like when someone said, we're going to go home. Oh, no. <laughs> we're, we're at the gates of hell. <laughs> yeah, he's, he, he, well, he loses it in uh, vacation when he gets to Wally's World and it's, um, it's closed. Yeah, and uh, John right. Candy is the security guard, remember? Yes, yes, that's right. Yeah, and, and he just <laughs> loses his, you know, his cookies, right? Just classic stuff, classic. I have to say, I, I, I don't know, you're, you're a Billy, Billy Joel fan, so I'm going to ask you, my, one of my favorite songs with him is, is, and you mentioned the title, A Matter of Trust. Oh, what do you think of that song? song? Oh, well, that is, is it, it, that is a great song. It is, isn't it? And they never play it on the radio, and I love that song. Yeah, you know what? That whole album is fantastic, but uh, you're right. They, they don't, that doesn't get much... Uh, radio play at all in fact i can't remember the last time i heard that and another good video i mean it's it's just a performance video but it's nice to see christy there and i think his daughter's in it at some point it's a it's a really cool video it's a nice and it's a live version of the song yeah which is even cooler no yeah it's fantastic but i for me my favorite uptown girl of course her her cameo in that one and then uh keeping the faith she because she's the girl in the chevrolet right when uh that's right yeah yeah yeah. he says it made it with the redhead girl in the chevrolet that that's uh christy brinkley in the video all right (laughs) (laughs) good for you billy good for you yep fantastic stuff yep so uh, let's take a look at the uh, charts. You know, you, you're going albums, right? I thought I'd do albums just because it just seemed interesting. Because again, is it one of those top five where 
You have to guess the two that I don't own, okay? Okay. There we go. <laughs> the two I don't own. Um, do you have any of these? I Let me see. Well, I've got number three. Me yep. too? Yeah. Okay. So that new, you know I got number five. So three. Number five is soundtrack to Beverly Hills Cop. Hmm. Yeah. I'm not sure you don't have that one? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Number four, Madonna, Like a Virgin. I'm guessing that you don't have that one either. Your guess, ding, ding, ding. Yep. Okay. Uh, number three is uh, Bruce Springsteen, Born in the USA. Isn't number it, two. It now, before we go to number two, though, isn't it interesting yeah. how all these, like, well, you know, Trump was playing it at the rallies and stuff, how they oh. just totally don't get the meaning of that song because that song is actually highly critical uh, <laughs> of the country, but, you know, they just don't get it. But yet, that makes it even better, don't you think? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's just, they just missed, Bruce put one over, and I, he's Trump's not the only one. I mean, I see Americans all the time who are like, USA, and they're playing Born in the USA, you're like, you know, he's not paying, he's not being complimentary in this song, but, you know, hey, they seem to like it. Um, number two is an album that I, I, I every single track I love. Yes. John Fogarty, Center Field. Mm. Yeah, and you're a baseball guy, so what a great song too. So when I saw him in uh, 2018 in Hamilton, he does Center Field with a guitar that's made out of a baseball bat. Oh, nice, nice. It's so cool. Yeah. It was just the coolest thing I've ever seen. I was like, <laughs> okay, John, you've just won the cool award. He's smiling away thinking this is cool because it is cool. And number one, an album that we I love and I have, uh, Wham, Make It Big. Yep. Well, that was a big album when it came out, too. Yeah. So, Countless hits on that one, too, right? No, for sure. And you know what? It is time for Memphis to Merseyside moment. We're going to keep it in New York City, but we're going to uh, go to 1984. And both of us have been to this spot, but let's. Uh, I'm not going to say anything else yet. Let's cue up our Memphis to Merseyside moment uh, music, and we'll be right back. So we're going to stay in New York, Tony, and we're going to go to Central Park. And something's being unveiled this day. It's a it's an area in Central Park that Yoko Ono actually purchased. Uh, and it's a designated spot, which is, if you stand there, you can see the Dakota building. And it's called, you say it. Well, it's called Strawberry Fields. Yeah. And it was opened this day, March 21st, 1984, right? Yes, and you've been there. I've been there at least four times. And, and didn't you miss Yoko by like 10 minutes? Oh, not, not even 10, supposedly two minutes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I was wow. with a, a band trip and we were, we went down to strawberry fields and I was explaining to the kids the whole story, uh, you know, about, uh, you know, what is interesting about that area when you look at the, the layout of strawberry fields, you know, and then you go to the edge of central park, which is not very far away. And there's that little berm and then you go up and then you're on the, on the street and then right yeah. across the street. Yeah is uh the dakota arms where john and yoko lived and um but you can just picture the whole scene unfolding on december 8th 1980 and and it's crazy yeah it's and you can see the you know there's the the where the guard sits and where john tried to walk to and all that yeah it's it's a it's a it's very emotional so you were there more than once though yeah i think i've been there four times Yep. I yeah, made I made a point of every time I went with the kids to New York City, we made a point of going there. Yep. Well, yep. Yeah. Linda went 
couple of years ago. Well, I guess the year before COVID, so 2019. And she went on December 8th, and there was about 200 people around it. And they did songs, they lit candles, and they played. And everyone just stopped playing the time at the time when he got shot. And she said it was so eerie. It was just dead silence, except you could hear the cars. Nothing else, you know? Yep. And uh, I, I like every once in a while, you know, um, just... Uh, from a historical perspective that it broke on Monday night football, you know, like even, even something like the NFL just stopped for a minute because that was, oh, yeah. that was big news. And that was uh, the end of a lot of our innocence. I think when John Lennon was killed, I read a, a writer who said it was like when you're a kid and I, and I know where you grew up. So you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. When you're a kid and you're walking to school and you hit that ice patch on the sidewalk and so you run and you skid across it, you know, because it's fun. He said it was it was like doing that for the last time in your life and never getting that joy back. And I thought that was a nice comparison and uh, because it did. It changed everything. Oh, you couldn't listen to Imagine without thinking of it, you know? No, absolutely. But uh, good on Yoko for doing that. And uh, it's a wonderful place to visit, folks. If you have never been there, take a moment next time you're in New York City to go visit Strawberry Fields. You'll be so glad that you did. It's very easy to find, and Tony's right. Go and get a shot with that the word "imagine" in the in the mosaic. It's just beautiful. It's uh, it's beautiful. So yeah, good on Yoko. She's done amazing things. I mean, even even you know with the Twin Towers and everything else, she has been she's been putting some really th- cool things out about the Ukraine right now, and and um, She's a she's a hip woman. I love Yoko, and I, I I know a lot of people make fun of her for her music and all that, but I I'm a fan, so I well, don't have anything bad to say about Yoko. No, me neither. I'm a fan as well. And you know what, Aaron? Uh, what a road trip this was. Number forty-seven. This was fun. I had a really good great. time. I had a really good time, and we're just inching ever closer to that number fifty. And uh, we'll have some <laughs> special things for that. But uh, folks, we want to just, as always, you know. I always say it. Thanks so much for allowing us into your headphones every week because it is important. This stuff's important. And when we're talking about all these artists and we talk about Elvis and the Beatles, it is, it's just wonderful to be able to sit and chat about that every week, isn't it? It is. And it's, it's, it's actually a privilege. And, and, uh, you know, I like communicating with our our listeners on, on Facebook and stuff. And, And please keep the comments coming. I, I really, Tony and I both really, really super appreciate it, you know? Well, absolutely. And if you only do one thing besides listen to the show, tell a friend and uh, they'll be glad that they got the chance to listen to. So thanks very much. And we will see you again soon. Have a good week, Aaron. You too, Tony. Thanks for listening to our road trip. The music was by Rick Denis. And if you're enjoying what you're hearing, be sure to click the follow or subscribe button in your favorite podcast player. That way you'll be the first to know whenever we release a new episode. How else can people help, Aaron? They can follow us on Facebook and Instagram and check out our website. And if you think we're worth the five stars, please leave us a review. Thanks for hitting the road with us today, and we'll see you again soon.